It's all things MMA. We're back uh, with a bang. Uh, my name is Ken McGuire, joined as always uh, on screen and in your ears by Miles Price of Team Ryan Knuckle. Kenny, how are you? How are things? Hey, Ken. We took a long break again. So it's, glad, it's great to be back. Great to be back talking so, all things MMA. So, yeah, awesome. Great. Summer, the summer holidays are, are good to people. But what's happened as a result, um, as we've been when chatting about off air, is that we've we've missed like this giant string of uh fight nights and pay-per-views and things on yeah. the ufc side we haven't even touched other things that have, have come up on the bellator side and other promotions but for today we're going to do a very quick kind of whirlwind uh, recap of what's been happening over the last couple of weeks in the world of mma throwing it all back to ufc 265 where we saw the interim mm. uh, heavyweight title fight uh, between Cyril Gann and Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis has been there before. Uh, Cyril Gann, this was his 10th uh, pro fight uh, in, uh, what did he turn pro in? Three years ago, maybe four years ago. Yeah. Um, Derek Lewis, very much known for being able to kind of weather the storm, really dig in uh, f- deep into the into the latter rounds of things. Slow starter that packs a ferocious amount of power. Gan as this up and coming wonder beast or a, a mini Francis Ngannou that has wonder, a weird wonder beast. I've never wonder heard that beast. word. Yeah, he, wonder he's beast. Got, <laughs> he's he's got this. Um, uh, I don't know who would who would who would said it. Robin Black or somebody, or maybe it was Dana White afterwards. Is like this is a, a heavyweight that moves like a middleweight. He's light and he's bouncy and he's flighty and he's very very calculated. What yeah. we saw and it's been well documented in the time since is that Cyril Gan absolutely dismantled Derek Lewis yeah on home soil for Lewis this was in Houston he said afterwards he never wants to fight in Houston again the pressure of the the interim title bout and, and chasing that fight against Francis Ngannou the pressure of of the home crowd and then the expectation that he, you know he'd he'd out muscle or, or out strike or just outdo Cyril Gann uh, on the night and it couldn't have gone any worse for Derek Lewis. Um, I, I, I don't know if he got into double figures in terms of strikes thrown. He was left on the back foot pretty much for the entire of the time that he was in the cage. Um, what, what did you, what, what did you make of it as it was then? And, and where do you see things going now from a heavyweight perspective? Because we're likely to see maybe sometime before the end of this year, Cyril Gann and Francis Ngannou, two, two of, if if not the biggest outputs of French MMA uh, going at it for the UFC heavyweight title? Uh, I think that, I'm not taking anything away from Cyril Gann, I think that Derek Lewis felt the pressure of that night. I think he verbalized something that he was definitely feeling. And uh, he could have, uh, I think he could have, um, performed a little bit better if, if he hadn't let that pressure get to him as much. But I think that just made Cyril Gann even more devastating. I think the result probably would have been the same. Yeah. Cyril Gann does, he really does throw and move and counter like a, like a lighter weight athlete. There's no doubt about that. And in my opinion, he's a, uh, Big, big threat to Francis Ngannou. He can definitely outwork Francis, and he seems to be quite good at evading power shots and evade. And like distance management is a huge thing with Cyril Gann. His distance yeah. management is very good. He doesn't seem to get hit very often, 
And uh, I think this will cause a lot of trouble for Francis Ngannou. And there's also the underlying mind games that come along with this. Um, mind games in regards to uh, in regards to the fact that they were two former teammates. And I don't know anything about really that, that situation, but from what I know is Cyril Gann's head coach who used to train Francis Ngannou kicked Francis out because he was being a bit egotistical in the gym. He wasn't doing what he was told. He was kind of trying to run the show himself and kind of like clashing and not working on the same page with his head coach, which doesn't really work. So I feel like the head, his head coach made the correct decision to say that it doesn't really matter who you are or what status you have. You can't train here anymore. So, and so there's that dynamic playing in there as well. And I think that because he's so good at evading power shots and he's uh, moves a lot lighter than Francis and the mind games there in regards to being in the previous gym, I think Cyril Gann could take out Ngannou, to be honest. I really do. Like, I, and I, and I, like, look, look, records are for DJs in this sport. I've said it a hundred times. Like, you yeah. see all sorts of records beating all sorts of other records all the time. It's not as easy as this record looks like it could easily beat this record. But if you look at, he's relatively new in the game, Cyril Gann, uh, but he has had 10 uh, wins in Thai boxing as well before. Yep. So I think that he has the potential to really take out Francis. Well, he, he very much seemed to rise to the occasion. I mean, you know, you're heading for fight number 10, you're pro about three years and already you're into an interim title fight with the likelihood being that three months or six months down the line, you're fighting for heavyweight gold, which will undoubtedly bring with it, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 people in attendance, massive numbers from a pay-per-view point of view, because we all love to see and fans love to see two heavyweights collide. um, And an awful lot of, uh, probably an awful lot of money that goes along with it as well. Do you see pressure, pressure on, on Gan? there being being an issue francis has been in this kind of spotlight already he's had those big yeah. fights he had his yeah. he had the the title shot against stipe that he he missed ultimately uh is now the um ultimately is now the, the heavyweight champion he's had that main event experience he's been able to carry certain things he knows his time is now ellie only won the title in 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 march of this year as well um it'll be it'll be a a quick it'll be a quick kind of turnaround yeah, in in that regard, but but do you see pressure? Do you see pressure in 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 that regard or that capacity on on Cyril Gan? Would Nganu have an edge anywhere along those lines? I I think yeah, he does. He obviously has the the champion's edge, like one hundred percent. But I feel like that, you know, Francis Francis bet Stipe the way Francis has beaten everybody else. Like, and I just haven't seen anybody do that to Cyril yet. Yeah. So I feel like that it's, I don't know. I, I just, I think I'd be betting for the underdog going into this one, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Um, following on from there, and it leads to uh, another discussion that's been rumbling in the media for the last couple of weeks. We saw uh, Jared Cannonier and Calvin Gastelum uh, go at it. Uh, tight enough, tight enough fight, to be fair. Went the five rounds, the decision went Cannonier's way. Um, and at the at the time, 
when he was quipped about who he'd like to see, he was looking for the he was looking for the next the next person up the ladder. He's looking for the money fight and and kind of, like kind of off the cuff. It's probably been elaborated on a good bit since. Throws in that little comment and says, "Hey, look, man, I'm I'm broke." Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I got a fight, and when you hear somebody saying they're broke, they got a fight, and their disclosed purse is fifty grand or a hundred grand or two hundred and fifty grand. I'm guessing the guys that are taking pay per view points and all of that thing, they're not so much worried about whether they're broke or not. Um, but we've seen it an awful lot with fighters. We've seen fighters uh, as recently as as this weekend, gone with uh, with the tail bronzing fight that they pick up a fight of the night bonus and it's like, man, this is, this is life saving. This is life changing. This is getting me out of all kinds of trouble. I'm in tears here at the fact that I'm after getting some, some extra cash. Mm. Um, like what, what's your, what's been your observations hearing this side of things? Like you hear somebody like Cannoneer at the level he is going into a main event with an organization like the UFC, whether it's him or whether it's somebody else. And then at the end of the fight, they say, man, I'm, I'm broke. I I I need I need this. I need this money. In some mm. cases, we've seen. Uh, in some cases, we've seen. I think it was Misha Tate. Uh, for her return fight, was to pocket something like two hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it turned out that she she was breaking down the the fighter pay, and it was well, look, my training camp probably cost me about two hundred grand. And I have to pay for this and I have to pay for food and I have to pay for something else. So I'll probably come away with about three or four grand after the fight. That's kind of a bit mental, isn't it? Yeah. Well, look, I, you could really, you'd have to, you'd have to kind of like have all day to talk to me about this because like I'm big on fight or pay. Like I, I just feel like that the risks that we take as athletes, uh, especially MMA athletes, the high risk work that we're in, you should be getting paid the same as other combat athletes. Like when is this ever a topic in boxing? It just isn't, you know, um, any UFC main eventer should not ever be complaining about pay. It's that simple. A UFC fighter should not a main eventer in the top 10, top five, like Cannoneer should not be complaining about not having enough money. It's that simple. It's a, it's straight to comparisons. Okay. In boxing, they promote the fighters. You could you, you couldn't name to me, like 99% of people could not name to me the top five boxing promotions and organizations in the world. In MMA, it's UFC, it's Bellator, it's PFL, it's KSW, it's one one FC. You can name the promotions. In MMA, it's all about the promotions. The UFC want to get rid of all the fighter sponsorships, which they miss out on thousands for, but the UFC still get to plant branding all over their canvas and all that. Like the UFC don't want to do tournament-based uh, promotions because it takes out the the picking and choosing the cash cows to make the most money for them, but not for the guys to put in blood, sweat and tears and actually work their way up the ranks. Um, one way or another, like nine, like other big organizations like the NFL, the NBA, etc., they get 48 point something percent of the incomings of the, of the company. In the UFC, it's under 18%. That's absolutely ridiculous with the risks that's taking an MMA and there's thousands being spent a month in court for the UFC fighting the Muhammad Ali Act. 
because the Muhammad Ali Act is basically trying to transition not just from boxing, but into MMA. And the second that happens, the UFC lose power and they lose how much they have to give the fighters. They, they, why do you think they pay the cash cows more than anybody else? To shut them up because they know that if everybody comes together, if every single UFC champion came together and came and united and went, look, we have enough money. We don't care about the amount of money and how much you stroke my ego on a weekly basis by touching base with me about how, how well I'm going on my week with messages or whatever from Dana and giving me all these extra extra money all the time. What I care about is changing fighter pay across the board. I think that with the champions in the UFC and the biggest cash cows need to start forgetting about the money and start thinking about changing the course of history for fighters as a whole and actually unite. And I think that'll really make a big change and that'll cement history. Everybody is going to, anybody can be like the amount of double champs now, big fights, big main events. People forget about that shit. You change how fighters are actually being paid it changes the course of history. And that's how you cement yourself into history, I think, personally. you know. So that's my standpoint on fighter pay. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think the UFC is, uh, and Bellator actually, from my own experience, is a complete monopoly. It's completely based off capitalism, which is okay. That's great too. But it's capitalism arrow control. The, the organizations are completely ripping off fighters. And they're expecting so much from them while they're sitting back and eating buckets of KFC chicken. Like, that's how I feel on it. And it's ridiculous that Cannoneer would come out with a statement like that. He's a UFC main eventer. Like, would you ever hit, think, hit, would you ever hear that from a boxing main event? Never. You never would would Katie Taylor be making a complaint like that? No, no. You're, no, you're not going to see it. But what what is it going to take to make a change? Is it going to be the passing of that act? Is it going to be a fighter revolt? Is it going to be somebody coming out on live TV during an interview and going, actually, lads, you know, this is this is the truth of it. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's those two things. I think it's the acts coming through and fighters actually uniting. And I'm not talking about any old fighters. I'm talking about a, the champion from each division. And instead of going like, well, I'm okay. So like, you know, everyone else has to make their way up to where I am. And, and you know, not think so selfishly. You have to be selfish, of course. But I mean, like, how could you not want that? Like, if you think about it from an outside perspective, like, you know, it's like you want to bring all the champions together, change fighter pay, because at the end of the day, a lot of the time, like guys don't make it like, you know, how much do do you reckon from from the knowledge that you that you may have on the subject? How much do you reckon? Let's say, let's say for argument's sake, Cannoneer takes home a hundred grand for that win. Yeah, it might have might have been like way more. I may be like totally off the mark. Uh, we know there's things like you know managers have to get fees your gym fees have to be covered you might have brought in a specialist to help you with this camp you might have brought in another guy here you've got travel how how much of your purse on average do you reckon or how much of a fighter's purse is gone before they actually get to kind of go oh nice one i have a bit of money here for myself and tax by the way Taxes and well. actually taxes tax is a good thing and that's 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 also something i suppose people don't talk too much about and why certain fighters are reluctant to fight in in certain states 
you get a fight in New York, it might be 50% on the tax side of things. You get a fight in Vegas, it might be 20% on the tax side of things. These aren't specific yes. numbers, but just to highlight the difference between the two. Mm. So how, how much would you reckon on average a fighter a fighter on a decent main event purse might be giving up before they actually go? Did it come out, did it come out what Candonier's purse was? I, that's a really good question. I'm not totally sure. I'd, I'd have to ask my um, Jamie. I'd, you need a Jamie I'd, in the office. I'd have to ask my esteemed uh, esteemed producer here. At the time, at uh, on the twenty fourth of August, so bloody elbow. I have an article here that says uh, referencing uh, Cannoneer, uh, despite saying he was broke, he was satisfied with the UFC pay. Um, he doesn't have any sponsors, but sixty percent of his fight purse is gone. So one hundred sixty one thousand dollars he got. Hundred and sixty one thousand. So if you take if you take uh hundred and sixty one thousand, we'll do the live maths, folks. This is this is how Well we you can it. take over from here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do hundred and sixty one thousand dollars. That means that before he steps into the cage, assuming that the hundred and sixty one thousand was his show and win money, or maybe it was just win money, or maybe it was just show money, however way it was structured. That means that before he does anything else, almost a hundred grand of that is gone. Hundred grand, fucking hell! Like a hundred, a hundred, and again, a hundred grand to some people is life changing money, regardless yeah. of regardless of what level of the game that you're at. That's insane money, sure. Yeah. But he's, he's got to pay the gym. He's got to pay management. He's got to pay taxes. He has his own bills. He's got credit cards. He says he has the house up in Alaska. He's got to make his car payments. The money doesn't last forever. He said the money is the money is gone. And fighting as fighters, that's his only revenue. It's not like he's going out and he's making investments. It's not like he's going out and doing commercials. He's not doing movies. He's not doing anything like that. He's He's got to wait. He's got to get his time in the cage. He's got to get the win in order to get more money. Um, but it, but it's yeah. a lot. Sixty percent of a purse is a fairly sizable is a fairly sizable release. So, like, what do we do there? Do we do we look at paying fighters more? Do we look at reducing course. reducing taxes on fighters? Dana White's just is like this fucking weird old Michael Jackson fucking figure. Do you ever see his house? He has like fucking he has like massive playgrounds at the back. He's a mullet like with fucking all sorts bumper cars and it's like a it's like a Disneyland out of his backyard like he's, he doesn't even know what to do with his money he's a multi multi millionaire they don't know what to do with their money a lot of these promoters like they're 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 like oil tyrants like they have so much money and none of it goes to the people that actually like work for them that make the show so yeah of course pay them more pay them more that's it we'll we'll definitely come back to the the topic uh Sticking with the fights that we've missed over the last couple of weeks, uh, Edson Barbosa got back in the main event side of things. He was taken on Giga Shikadze about two weeks ago now, give yeah. or take. Um, there was an interesting piece I'd, I'd spotted uh, during the week, during this week, um, that Shikadze knew he had him when he had the rear naked choke uh, locked in. That could be the second round of the fight um, and let it go because he didn't want to win that way. It was just like, I knew I had him, I had the submission on, but I had told people that I was going to knock him out and I wanted to get the knockout. And then eventually goes on and gets the TKO finish in the third round. Um, a little bit disappointing for, for Barboza. He looked a little yeah. bit on the flat side. Um, how, how like, I suppose because he's he's made that divisional change as well, 
Um, you know, it's it's different fighter styles, it's different body types, it's different everything. Pace is going to change, his movement is going to change. Uh, his his age will come in to play at at some stage. He'll he'll start losing losing marks along the line. But how how did you how did you see that play out? Uh, I I think Giga, Giga is fucking is like excuse my French, but he's a serious striker, isn't he? Like you know, like he's very very sharp. Uh, I I like Edson. I I I didn't really want to see Edson Barbosa win. Like I like Edson, Edson Barbosa. He's a veteran. He's a fan favorite. But yeah. I just think that Giga was just a lot sharper. To be honest, like he just like he looked like a strike. I don't know about that whole. I, I had the rear naked joke, but I didn't want to win that way. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's the case, really. Like you know, yeah, I is think that, that, is that cockiness, or is that something you just say in the aftermath? Does that sound really like mind games at that stage? Eh? I think it's. I think it's a bit of cockiness, really. Or he just got it. It was a split moment of cockiness, and he could have like afterwards gone like, "Oh, I can't believe I said that." We've all been there, like you know. So I mean, he probably just like said something that he did. He came across a bit cocky, saying, and it was, and it's disrespectful as well. You know, yeah. to be honest with you. So, yeah, I think he was just sharper on the night, though, for sure. Uh, where to next, do you think, for Barbosa? He had the win over Shane Burgos coming into this, and then he, he flips on, on the loss after the third round. I think he could make, I think he could definitely fight some, some. I'd have to look at the, I'd have to look at the, the rankings to see. Do you know what would be a fun fight? It would be Barbosa and Korean Zombie. That would be a fun fight. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I think something like that would be great for the both of them, to be honest. Yeah, I can I can see where you could have a little bit of fun with it. All right, okay, we'll we'll stick that one on the notice board and and uh, we'll we'll stick that one on the notice board and see what happens. Um, following on from that, then last weekend, uh, this weekend just gone. Um, for uh for another fight night card, we had an absolute um massive like massive night. We had uh Darren Till and Derek Brunson go at it. Paddy Pimblett finally made his UFC debut. Uh, answered the call. Yeah, a good, night, a good night. A good night for Liverpool. Baradar until with wins for wins for uh, Paddy Pimblett and Paddy Pimblett in in fairly con- convincing fashion. A little bit risky in terms of his performance, um, but uh, convincing at at the end of it. Molly McCann had a good win as well, taking her decision victory. Um, but for for Darren Till, I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of agreeing with I'm kind of agreeing with Michael Bisbing in that while while Till's a big dude. A, a move back down to welterweight might be the better option because he's getting out muscled and and out wrestled at, at middleweight. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to know because like Israel Israel Adesanya isn't much bigger than Darren Till, you know? Maybe. Yeah. Is he? Well, he shouldn't be. He's probably he's probably about a two hundred a two hundred ish walk around. Yeah, looks like it. Like I, I wouldn't have thought that that Israel Adesanya was much bigger. If not, he could be smaller than Darren Till. Like I'd like to see them side by side. You know, I don't think that there'd be as big a difference. I, I feel like personally that I think that you know you have to take in emotional intelligence in regards to being an athlete. You know, and I think that when I see Till and how he acts and lashes out sometimes, yeah. he comes across a little bit like unsteady. Like we have to remember where he came from too. Like he, he, you can speak Brazilian, and he got sent out to Brazil before because he was in some sort of like street gang stabbing or some situation like that. Don't quote me on that. It's something along those lines. 
and he was in a lot of trouble. His life was potentially in danger, got flown out to Brazil. So you're kind of looking at that kind of backstory to, to Till. So maybe Darren Till, the fighter, looks a bit looks well put together, but Darren Till, the person, isn't as well put together. And you could kind of see that on the night as well. He looked a bit like not really bothered being there, looked a yeah. bit flat, looked a bit like, oh, you know, not really the Darren Till we're used to seeing. So maybe... Darren Till's personal life is getting is starting to merge a little bit into his fighter life, and he might need to maybe talk to someone or just take reevaluate things and come back to baseline a little bit and just really see what's best for him and take a break from fighting for a couple of months just to like you know put him first for a little while, you know. Yeah, like he, uh, he I know injuries have come into play and everything else, but you're you're going back to you're going back to the summer of of 2018 like he'd been on that you know he, he makes the UFC debut in whatever it was maybe 2015 or 16 there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a layoff there as well and then he goes on this run he picks up four five six run uh, wins in a row he'd finished off uh he'd finished off cowboy he took the win against Stephen thompson he gets that shot against uh tyron woodley back at ufc 228 mm. um, and goes down to the darce and that immediately bounces into that was that was kind of autumn by next spring march 2019 he's got jorge masvidal in there uh, drops that fight. He picks up the split decision win over Calvin Gastelum on the Diaz card. It was, it was good, good, good fight. Again, close though, like very close. So he goes out. Um, he drops the decision uh, last year, last summer, uh, to Robert Whitaker, and he's been off. He's been off the radar since last. Um, he's been off the radar since last July. Uh, I know there was talk about him fighting uh, Marvin Vittori earlier this year and then the Derek Brunson fight was supposed to be August. It got moved into September uh, and then goes down to the, the rear naked choke. But by the time it came to that, by the time it came to the third round, uh, while he started while he started kind of sprightly in the third round, I think he just emptied the tank and he's like, if I end up getting thrown around, if I end up getting taken down and go down on the ground again, I have no answer. And it looked... To me, it looked like a, a guy who just who didn't have an answer for Brunson mm. in the first and second just proved way too, way too strong. But on paper, if you're looking at Darren Till, it's now one win in, it's now one win in five, and the win in five, the one that was there, um, wasn't very convincing. The the whole promise that was there for Till a couple of years ago seems to have, seems to have gone, uh, and if. If that win wasn't there and they're looking at here's a fighter who hasn't won any of his last five fights, um, I think he'd be in trouble. I don't I don't know I don't know what happens next. I think I think he's very similar to Conor McGregor, to be honest. I think that his his personal life is caught up with his fighter lifestyle. And I think that you can kind of see that in how he how he talks sometimes, you know. He yeah. comes across as quite impulsive and emotional and not really sure why he kind of talks like that. Like, you know what I mean? I think Darren Till in his personal life is very different to what you see, like kind of from the fighter, to be honest. So I think that's, I think that's common enough with guys that are not really looking after themselves on a personal level, to be honest. So what, what does he, what does he do in this case? Because there's been, there was suggestion again this week, it could have been from Michael Bisping again, that in the case of McGregor, 
that rather rather than coming back and chasing the Dustin Poirier fights and chasing all these mad fights, it doesn't really matter who McGregor fights. People are still going to pay to watch it, and you know he's going to earn a lot of money off. Should he be looking a little bit further down the ladder and go, let's let's just take a tune-up fight or two. Let me get in there. Let me get a couple of rounds where I can go in and I can dominate. And then let let that kind of you know boost me back up and and then we'll go back knocking at the knocking at the top table. Is is that is that an option for for Till at all? Or yeah, I think first off he needs to look after his mental health, whatever way he need, he wants to do that, and then he has to do exactly what you just said. Start off with taking a few months of just focusing on Darren the person, whatever that may may be. All anything to do with his emotional and mental health, he needs to look after. And then he needs to build himself up with the tune-up fights. That's my personal opinion. I, that's just my outside perspective. Look at things like I might be completely wrong, but that's what I feel like maybe the right route for him. Yeah. Okay. Well, also on also on the card uh, this weekend, just gone. Um, it was the good night for. It was actually quite a good night for UK fighters overall. Was, yeah. Jack Shore in the prelims uh, moved to 15 and 0. He'd been quite the fighter uh, under Cage Warriors, and he's proven the same for the UFC. Molly McCann um, took the split decision win, I think it was. She got the decision one way or the other anyway um, against Ji Young Kim. Uh, so she's moving on up. Uh, and then Paddy Pimblett, in fairness yeah. to him, he, uh, he came out swinging. He wanted to put a new, he wanted to put a, put a show on. He says the new king is in town. Um, Vendramini was uh, opposite him and looked like Pimblet could have been in could have been in in bother is is that tendency to leave his chin out and leave his hands down yeah uh, but when they started swinging and he he caught Vendramini with the hook that was it it was kind of it was kind of game over it was very fast like I mean in fairness to him he couldn't have asked for a better debut um I know his his uh, his post fight interview was was comical it's just great here and somebody with an absolutely wicked Scouse accent and a wicked sense of humor to go along with it, asking or answering questions yeah, from, from yeah. reporters. Um, but I, did, did you get to catch the fight at all? Did you, did you? I did. I watched that fight. I thought that he looked in great shape as well, didn't he? Yeah, he does. He looks, he looks fresh enough now for, for a guy that was after traveling and making the, making the journey and ready yeah. to go. Cause he had turned down the UFC previously. Yeah, he's very young though, wasn't he? He was 21, 22 or something like that. Stick around. And he's still he's still a young guy. He's mid-20s. 26, yeah. Um, uh, he's had a lot under his belt since. Like. I think that Paddy Pimblett is very marketable. Like, he has the hairdo. He has the personality. Yeah. Scouser. Likeable character. I think from, like, a poster boy point of view, I think all his characteristics scream cash cow. 100%. I do not think that he's the same type of cash cow that McGregor was because I think McGregor had like the personality, but he had that extremely dangerous skill set as well. Like, I mean, if you compare the debuts of the two, like they're comparing the debuts there now, and I, I really don't think that there is any comparison. Like McGregor was in his prime, like pretty unstoppable, you know, like in fairness to him, it was just his... When he is switched on, there's not many guys in the world that can be Connor. Like that's a hundred percent. And I feel like that Paddy style, you know, like Paddy has has a tendency to leave his chin up, like you're saying. 
I mean, if you had somebody a little bit more experienced in there, I think he would he would have been taken out in that fight. I think his debut could have actually gone a bit better if I was being honest with you. I, I, going with what you were saying, like I feel like that it went well in one way, yeah. but he got exploited in a lot of other ways too. He showed a bit of carelessness. He showed that he needs a few more tune-up fights like that before he starts getting into the more dangerous guys. Because guys, like he's not going, his striking needs work. 100% his striking needs work. And that's it, I think. You know, I think that he's he's definitely has potential and, he, and he's definitely going to be a cash cow. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But when he runs into when he runs into somebody that is willing to like bang and is good at good at grappling, he's gonna be in trouble. So he needs to start that that striking out ASAP because anybody that can match his grappling but has like crisp, clean, like we saw it with Till and Masvidal, if you want to reference the same kind of thing, you know, that Till looked unstoppable for the first couple of fights, ran into a badass with a chin like Masvidal. And then she hit the fan. Yeah. On that note, uh, before we wrap things up, um, we've got one big one that's on the way in just under two weeks' time. Uh, and we've we've touched on it. We've touched on it kind of earlier in the summer, and we'll probably look at it a little bit more in depth next week because it does come with an absolutely mighty card, but you can't ignore the fact that a potential for fight of the year is on the horizon before September is out with Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega going at it finally, finally, uh, for the UFC's featherweight title. Um, we'll we'll go into uh, we'll go into predictions and we'll go into things a little bit more uh, yeah. next week. We've seen we've seen the two of them as as part of the the return of the Ultimate Fighter series and you know the way things have been going there and little barbs at each other and the pranks at each other and all of this kind of thing, but. While things have been friendly in one capacity, uh, ultimately this fight has been building for such a long, long time. Has, yeah, has, yeah. has any has anything changed in your opinion uh, over the summer um, in in the run in in the run into the fight? What did I say last time? Do you remember what my prediction was last time? <laughs> uh, I'm 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 pretty sure it was kind of like. Uh, I'd have to say it was something along the lines of going like head Volkanovski, heart Brian Ortega because you're yeah, yeah, fan. that is it actually. Yeah, that that's pretty much what I feel now. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I'd like to see Brian Ortega win. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd like to see Brian Ortega win, and I'd like to see Brian Ortega being more active and being a kind of an ever present, and you know, get him a couple of good solid fights. Mm. Um, get him a couple of good solid fights over the year. I do think still, and we'll, again, like I said, we'll, we'll look at it in more detail a little bit uh, more next week, um, pre-fight. But I think I think we should finish up by having a two-minute conversation about uh, Woodley and Paul. Do you remember that? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. That's exactly how I feel about yeah, that fight. Um, what, what was worse for me afterwards... And for, for, okay, so for people who haven't seen it, if you if you've been if you have even a passing interest in the world of MMA, you would have known that Tyron Woodley and, and Jake Paul were the latest to go at it. It was a thriller, or whoever's organising these fight cards nowadays. Uh, for Paul, as the YouTuber turned pro boxer of sorts, uh, to take on Tyron Woodley, uh, Ben Askren was going to have a go at him earlier in the year, and it did not it did not go very well at all for him. No, and then Tyron Woodley, you're kind of like, come on, Woodley man, do us a favor. Um, yes, te- teach teach this guy what's going to happen. But Woodley 
being being the Woodley of the last three or four years and not the Woodley of the previous three or four years yeah. takes all day to get going. Oh. When, he's, when he's finally gotten going, he's he's down three or four rounds already. Oh. Like, oh, he, should been, he should have been able to do it. He just he spent so long building up and kind of going, oh yeah, I'll figure this thing out and I'll figure this thing out. You don't have 12 rounds to do that. You don't have all no. that extra time that that the experience and that the bigger actual pro boxing events bring you got to get in and you got to get it done quickly and while paul looked fresh he didn't have an answer for for woodley really beyond the fourth round no. when he was going out through the ropes i thought that was it that was done and tyron yeah. can go now i'm gonna unleash killer tyron woodley this is my chance and instead, we're left scratching our heads, going, "How in the name of God is this thing still allowed to happen?" Oh, I know Tyrone is just like he just resets all the time. This whole shaking out his arms and and moving around and kind of like resetting. It's like, bro, just throw your hands and they're going to connect. I'm telling you, like man, you could even see it in his corner. There's just so much frustration in Tyrone's corner because he just was resetting way too much, not pulling the trigger. Jake was not going to knock out Tyrone. No way. And he just is coming across a bit desperate now looking for the rematch. You fucking let the MMA side down, bro. Okay, it's that simple. You let it down. Like, we all know that you can be him, okay? It's that simple. And do you know what irritates me about a lot of MMA media guys at the moment when everyone's kind of sitting back now and going, oh, well, uh, you know, we have to give Jake Paul credit. It's like, well, yeah, I do give Jake Paul credit. Of course he can strike. But my main issue is, is influencing the martial arts way. It's how you get there. Everybody seems to forget about the wisdom that comes along with the martial arts journey. It's not all about the end destination. That's people's fucking egos, okay? It's who you become on the way to your destination, all right? So as much as Jake Paul wants to jump on the mic afterwards and say, oh, don't be a bully, but that makes no sense because your whole persona is based around being a bully. So you're conditioning people that aren't as strong-willed or are very easily manipulated to become bullies because that's what they think they need to become to get what you have now, okay? The, the real heroes are the guys that, you know, don't talk a lot of smack and they teach their kids classes in the fucking gym all the time and they change young people's lives, and nobody talks about them in the media. They're the real heroes of the martial arts way, okay? So when you come in, you talk a lot of noise, a lot of smack, and then you're throwing off all this bling, you're dis disrespecting people's livelihoods, and then you're stepping over like the mark of a lot of previous martial artists that have sacrificed their lives to get to where they need to, and then at the end you go, don't be a bully, but you are one. That's what the big issue is right now, okay? Yes, you can strike. Who gives a shit? It's what you represent that the issue is, okay? Like, that's what people need to fucking understand. It's not about the destination. It's about the quality of the journey. And Tyrone had an opportunity to fucking do something about it. He didn't. God damn it, Ken. Oh. Anyway, we rant over. It's my Wednesday rant over. <laughs> fantastic uh, on that note <laughs> this has been all things MMA it's it's good to leave it on a rant and a, and a bit of crack uh, yeah. Miles, if people if people want to get in touch and you give you a shout what's the best way to do it 
Uh, Team Rhino Kilkenny for uh, if you'd like to join restrictions are lifting soon so we'd love to have you in to try out some martial arts if you want to put your name down for the uh, we're booked up in regards to memberships at the moment but you put your name down uh, we might be able to get you into a class in the near future Nice one Team Rhino Kilkenny and TeamRhinoKilkenny.com for that well this has been all things MMA he's been Miles Bryce I've been Ken McGuire and we'll do it all again in some kind of shape next week good luck (laughs) 